All right, we've got a returning guest and uh, in Dan Foch and his buddy Nick. They are from the Canadian Real Estate Investors Podcast. Uh, they just launched their, the, uh, I guess, the number one Canadian business podcast right now. So uh, doing good stuff. And uh, we always have a good discussion, Dan and I, and uh, happy to have these guys on. So if you enjoy the podcast, give me a rating, five stars, and uh, tell your friends. Enjoy. Uh, thanks for coming back. Pleasure. Yeah, you brought uh, your buddy Nick. Yeah, my buddy Nick. <laughs> yeah, I too. We're like, uh, we're, a, we're a package deal now. Yeah, good, good. How did you guys meet? Uh, he slid into my DMs, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the way I get most of my uh, my dates, my relationships, <laughs> my way I met my girlfriend. It's the way I uh, met Dan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, on a serious note, just a few years ago, he had posted a deal in Uxbridge where my parents live. I was very familiar with the area of town, the property, so reached out to him. And uh, yeah, a week later, we were at the property, went and grabbed wings and beer, and then tried to, you know, spent a year, I think, putting it, tried to put a deal together on that property. Yeah. Never ended up going through. And then just about a month and a half ago, that same property was destroyed by a tornado. Oh, I, yeah. I was racing that weekend. Yeah. Okay. It was, insane. It was So I was in Uxbridge that weekend, yeah. kind of babysitting my parents' house as they were gone at the cottage. And I had to give them the unfortunate phone call. Hey, there's, you know, 40 square feet of roof missing. And uh, oh, so this was your place. My parents' place. Yeah. 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 But so, the, oh, geez. Yeah. No, the other place, the place that we were thinking about, well, like I had it uh, listed for sale. And then yeah. Nick and I were basically trying to fundraise raise on it um, for, for a while. Um, and I had it pretty close. It was a, it was a good deal. Like it was like a, a fourplex with, you know, awesome upzoning potential, like a ha half acre. Three, quarter, like, yeah, three, three quarters, quarters of an acre in like downtown development potential. It, it was a, it was a nice site. Anyway, it got smoked by the tornado. Like complete, Jeez. like the um, the company, the insurance company, still emailing me saying, "Can we get pictures of the uh, the videos to like tr triage or like re figure out how much the the loss was valued?" Right. Yes, this industry is so weird sometimes, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, the insurance industry, all the pi uh, pictures. Send me pictures yeah. from yeah. the well, past. Because we had three detours and stuff too, okay. right? So that, yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny. So you guys just did a deal to do a new podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Tell me about that. Like that's you're piggybacking on the Canadian real estate or Canadian investor. Yeah, yeah. So the, those guys are basically like top five shows in Canada, I think, and then consistently pretty well number one in um, or like. Yeah, in the, in the big Canadian business, in business right? Yeah. In, okay. On Apple Podcasts. Um, so yeah, I guess we kind of piggybacked. Like they'd had a lot of requests from their audience to get a little bit more elaborate. They've really nailed down the system, right? On the advertising side, on the content generation side, like just the cadence that they use. It's like one piece of evergreen content, one piece of timely content. Right. You know, twice a week. They're not convoluting with the ads. So they'd reached out to us just like as an exploratory. And they were like, but, you know, you probably need a co-host. And I was like, well, you know. This guy yeah. and and Nick and I had already started making content together and and so I, I'm kind of more just show up and, and talk and he's like really doing all the work in the back end which yeah I listened to a few of them you're you're definitely slugging yeah they're thorough man yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work I, I mean I think the reason we've experienced the success outside of just piggybacking off these guys who are doing an amazing job Dan coined the term our our pod fathers which I which I love yeah yeah, uh, yeah. they made us an offer we couldn't refuse. And, uh, you know, they've been listened to over 2 million times. Like, these wow. guys are really doing it, right? But yeah. Braden's been doing it since, you know, he's in his mid-20s. He's been doing it since he was, like, 14, I yeah. think. So, really? Yeah. Um, so they've come a long way. And, and, you know, being able to learn from them all the different aspects of, 
even just naming them um, mm. and you know how to yeah. how to name them, how, when to release them, the consistency, all that kind of stuff. We've learned a ton, but we were doing podcasts and, and creating content for you know a year, if not more, without any monetization, sure. or anything like that. So, and I think the other reason we've experienced success and and we've been able to get to that monetization is we've decided to do something that no one else is doing in that real estate investing space and this is not to knock any other podcast obviously we did the very same thing that everyone else did which was interviewing other realtors other mortgage agents other real estate professionals investors and it was fun we did that for a year we had some great guests on you know all those guests are now friends of mine friends of ours but there was no there was no platform where you could go and get news. There was no platform right. where you could go and get well-researched stuff. And this is what Dan and I were doing all day, every day anyways, right? We're yeah. researching what's going on in, in China, what's going on in New Brunswick, what's going on, you know, what's going on in real estate across the country. There's new headlines coming out every day. Everyone's more concerned about mortgages than they ever have been before, maybe since like the 70s. Um, so we just decided to, let's do a full-blown researched approach and, uh, yeah, I think that's why we've been able to you know, yeah. accomplish what we've done so far. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I think the attention right now is on all that stuff, right? Mm. Like the everyone's a news addict to to begin with. Man, it's crazy. Well, and you know, the, actually, it's funny. The guys on the Canadian Investor Podcast say it. Like, on the way up, everyone's a genius, and on the way down, everybody's a macroeconomist, right? <laughs> and, and like, it's so true. I don't think anybody even really knew the function of the Bank of Canada until like a couple of months ago. Like on on average, you know, the average yep. person didn't really get it, and now all of a sudden it matters, right? Because oh, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, they're they're like actively kind of ruining everything. The party's <laughs> over, right? Yeah. I think it, like when we spoke last, it was like they just didn't do the rate hike, yeah, and then um, the coalition was announced, and I was like, shit, they're gonna put out some policy probably soon and they did like I think that day or the next day or something we spoke literally potentially on the peak day it actually the whole was COVID <laughs> freaking regime yeah. and, and yeah. response yeah yeah Good no timing. it was so true and yeah the market started rolling over that day like that week I think I mean prices have been down nationally ever since that that day yeah so explain to like let's set the stage a little bit for someone who's kind of maybe someone who's like I don't know 17 and just looking for the first house and has had their head in the sand or someone right. who's literally been in a bubble and hasn't kind of followed along what's happened in real estate in Canada kind of yeah I guess leading up to COVID COVID and then now yeah so basically you know Canadian real estate went on a bull run basically since the middle of 90, I think it was like 96 was the last time we saw like a meaningful, like that. if you were to kind of calculate like a long-term average growth, mm -hmm. it would, that would be the starting point. That okay. was like the last time we saw a major trough in Canadian real estate. Um, and that was after the last cyclical event when, you know, here all the time, house prices from 89 to 94 dropped like 30, 40%. Right. Um, since then, basically, you know, interest rates have been getting cheaper, right? Monetary policy has an impact. And in 2008, we saw what happened in the U.S., but I think it, it introduced us to these new concepts like quantitative easing, number one, and the idea of net negative interest rates. Right. right? Explain that. Okay. Explain what a net negative interest rate is. Yeah. So basically, you can borrow money less, or net the rate of inflation. So if you take inflation mm -hmm. and subtract the interest rate, you're basically borrowing money for free. Like even if you bought a consumer good, hypothetically, if, if depreciation didn't exist, you would have made money just by owning right. that consumer good for a year because inflation outpaced 
right. the interest rate. Right. So you're borrowing money at a, at a lower percentage just on the face of it than, than inflation is happening. At. Right. So it's net negative. Right. So it makes sense in all cases to borrow money and buy things with that borrowed money. Right. Yeah. It's like there, I think it just introduced this moral hazard to the economy where central banks and financial institutions that lend money out for them functionally in Canada basically are like, you know, you hear in like uh, the the investment community lever up and bro down. I mean, like that's that's what we've been that's what we've been doing in Canada for yeah. some time now. Yeah, absolutely. And and oh eight, like we saw a small sell off, and then it was just a rocket ship because rates were so low, and everybody's like, let's just borrow money and and buy some Canadian real estate. Yeah. So then COVID hits, and the Canadian government's response is print more money than we've ever seen in human history. Yeah, hypothetically, I think we tripled our balance sheet. I believe, yeah. right? Um, so I think per capita we had the highest. Was it per capita per per GDP? We had the highest balance sheet expansion okay. in Canada, right? So, and I, I don't know if that necessarily is the problem, but I think the problem is that, sure. you know, in the U.S., and maybe we talked about this last time, but in the U.S., you have this big spectrum of businesses that if you want to buy bonds off of, you you know, there's a lot of places you can put money into the economy mm. to spread it out. In Canada, we have a very limited scope of businesses that you can invest capital in, right? Yep. So if you're buying bonds, you're buying it off of what, like a couple of telcos, you know, every every major industry in Canada is an oligopoly, right? Yep. Banks, there's six of them. Telco, there's four of them, right? Yep. Uh, ISP, there's four of them, and they're the same as telcos, right? Natural resources, same thing. Yep. Um, and so that money doesn't end up going, there's not a lot of mobility, right? right? The velocity of it isn't. And so a lot of it ends up into residential credit. The banks are like, oh, we have all this money. It's cheap. What mm -hmm. are we going to do? We're going to give it out to consumers at next to nothing right like you were getting i don't think we'll ever see interest rates like what we saw last year ever again in our lifetime if we do like there's a serious problem with the economy yeah yeah absolutely so interest rates are stupid low they printed a bunch of money yeah and you know there's there's immigration we're not building a crazy amount of houses yeah and house prices just skyrocket during COVID. Yeah, basically. Everyone's hobby is Realtor.ca. There wasn't really anything else to do. I think, like, legally, that was, like, one of the, <laughs> one of the five things you could do is, like, take your dog for a walk, like, yeah. do yoga in the park in the middle of winter, and, uh, and yeah, browse houses on Realtor.ca, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that and also combining that micro effect of people leaving cities, right? Because, mm. like, cities were useless, functionally obsolete for two years because of lockdown. So it was like, oh, everybody's going to buy a house in the suburbs. Yeah. It was, like, really good for teaching people the geography of Ontario, I think. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Other than minor hockey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then we spoke last, probably like we were saying, kind of on that peak day. And now since then, kind of run through what's happened with interest rates hikes and, and why that's been going on and what's that, what, what that has done to kind of yeah, on for average sure. house prices. Do you want to take that one? Because you yeah. did the hiking schedule for our, for our recession episode. Yeah. I mean, um, they've gone up. Yeah. Again and again and again. I five five increases at, at yeah, this I believe. point. 25, 25, 50, 100. And then, yeah. 200 bips. So they've, totally. so they've 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 gone up and and I it's not that they've never gone up before and we yeah. have a whole episode on this Canada in a rising rate environment and, and how Canadian real estate has performed. when was the last time they went up in a meaningful way 
The 90s. The 90s. 90s. Before okay. that, it was the late 80s, and before that, it was the late 70s. Although you could even say, like, 2017, we did see a, a contraction in house prices. Right. There was a couple of different things happening. We talked about this because, like, foreign ownership ban was the topic last yeah. time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was in Ontario, we saw a foreign ownership tax. BC, we saw a foreign ownership tax in 2016. It was There was a downturn after that. 2017, Ontario, foreign ownership tax. There was a downturn after that. Um, but rates were also going up in that period of time, right? Because the market was running too hot. Mm-hmm. And and so that was like uh, maybe a blip. But sure. then, and I actually think that that might have ultimately rolled over the market and ended up being the end of this cycle had COVID not happened, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then 2020 comes along and that's when prices hadn't even recovered by 2020 until they dropped rates again, like, and just then everything skyrocketed took right? off yeah yeah so it's it's not so much that rising rates are the problem we've seen that time and time again and and to be honest rates had to go up from where they were it was not sustainable as we just said the, the cheap money right you can't have a net negative economy like that for for too long it doesn't make sense yeah the real problem is i think the the psychology but behind those those interest rates right so canadians primarily have been choosing fixed mortgages for for decades. That was by far the most popular product in Canada, the five-year fixed. A little more risk adverse than a variable, even though variables historically perform better than fixed over over time. Right. But throughout the pandemic, we started to see a lot more Canadians go to that variable rate. It's kind of hard to say no when it's literally, you know, two two yeah, points. Historically, the spread was as high as it's ever been. E- right? Exactly. Right. right. So it just it got to that point where where a fixed rate is like whatever three percent and a variable rate is under one one percent. One percent. You right? have to go for it. Uh, it was like a HSBC at a point nine nine. There was there was there Jeez. was sub ones. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do any of those myself, but I, I mean, we were doing rates in like one point two, right? Which is just Anyone that understands that realizes that that's a temporary thing that can't yeah. last. That's not going to last for the five years, anyways. So, and we just did an episode on that risk being real, yeah. realized right now. So, right? so, so that's right. that's kind of where where I'm getting to is that you know the psychology is, you know, everyone's sitting at home watching HGTV and selling Sunset and going on Realtor.ca and <laughs> yeah. be like, come on, honey, we can do, we can flip a house, we can buy a cottage, we can start a real estate investing portfolio, and a lot of people could and a lot of people did. I think it's really going to be an interesting two years to see who still has that portfolio after we go mm. through the next, you know, year yeah. cycle kind of thing. Um, so yeah, rate, rates are now, you know, for instance, my variable rate, which I got, let's say over two years ago at 1.92% is now at 4.25. Yep. And I'm not alone in that. That's, that's happening to thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people across the country. That's going to lead to two things, and this is the episode we did last night, so it's very fresh in my mind. It's one that that brings up the stress test, which Mm -hmm. is now becoming more and more relevant. And again, another thing, right? Bank of Canada, stress test, trigger rates. These are things that most Canadians never cared about. Never thought about. Never thought about. You don't need to think about any of that stuff. House prices are going up 30% a year, baby. Easiest easiest business in the world, get rich quick. Um, So what's going to happen now is people, the stress test has become a lot more real and trigger rates are now becoming a real thing. Explain trigger rates. So a trigger rate is basically when you've gotten to the point where you're paying more interest 
on your loan. So every mortgage is broken up into two payments, principal and interest. Right, principal is, is like the actual money you paid for it's, the house. So you if you're pay paying, back. so let's say you yeah. got a 3,000, this is not a real example, $3,000 mortgage, 1,500 goes to principal, 1,500 goes to interest. Sure. The principal is actually you buying your house back, right? Yeah. That's $1,500 more every week or bi-weekly or, or monthly, whatever. That other $1,500 is what you give to the bank for saying, thanks for giving me the $600,000 to make this happen. Yeah. Those. Now, there's a lot of different types of mortgage products, but those, what's starting to happen is those are getting very skewed. So that 1500-1500 split is now looking more like 2000 and 1000 or even, you know, 2200 and 800 And when that 800 which is your principal, gets lower and lower and lower, you'll, you'll get a call from your bank, mm. call, a letter, maybe even a door knock, depending <laughs> how, uh, how wild this gets. Um, but they'll basically say, look, you're not you're literally just paying an interest only loan right now. Yep. Um, and if that goes higher and you're paying more than, and, and it's j like the entire payments interest plus, right. you're not paying anything. The bank says, hey, we gotta, we gotta rethink this. So that leaves you a few options. And again, this is all in our podcast that we just did uh, last night. So if yeah, you want more detail, one. go listen to that one. But I won't go into everything here, but it doesn't leave you with the great options. Basically, you've got to lock into a fix, you got to figure out a lump sum payment, or you've got to increase the cash flow or, or the value of that property. So there's going to be a lot of Canadians, whether you're just a, a homeowner that's living in a single family home with your family, that are coming up to these to these trigger rates, mm. or there's going to be a lot of people that have investment portfolios that are now losing money on their cash flow. That's fine if you can if you can service that for a few months and kind of weather the storm here. It's not fine if it gets to the point where, you know, if it gets to a certain point. That's a very subjective thing, right? Um, so I just again we urge everybody to just be running those numbers and and again it goes back to if you bought a house and you didn't run the numbers you know you only ran your numbers at two three four percent right you well, weren't even you weren't even doing your your own stress test I mean the bank's gonna go do the stress but test but the stress for test you. wouldn't even really necessarily account for that for, extreme situation exactly. right like because if you were if you were borrowing a variable last year at one point five percent let's say you're getting stress tested at 5.25 percent there's a chance by the end of this hiking cycle that you're above that 5.25 percent. Right. And when you get there, it's not like, you know, the, 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 those rates are happening on the trigger rates are happening on static payment variable mortgages. So those people didn't, their payments weren't changing at all. So let's say it was that $3,000 example. Now all of a sudden the bank's going to say, look, you, we, you're not servicing any principal. We're going to lock you into a fix for a year. You can always go back to your variable if it comes back down. Right. Um, but you know, and now all of a sudden, if you're, if you're going into a, a present day fixed mortgage on the same amount of principal on the same amortization schedule that you had at like a 5% or yeah, I mean, five. even yeah, yeah, probably a 5% rate, let's say your, your payment just went to like four, 4,500 bucks, right? From, from three, let's say in that example, like, so, so there's, people are always like, Oh, you know, there's no risk in Canadian real estate. You have to see an extreme <laughs> amount of financial stress for that to happen and distress selling and whatever. I mean, the reality is I don't think that it, distress selling is how this absolutely destroys the economy. What happens is capital costs make Canadians forced to tighten their belts. Yeah, we have a lot of people with a lot of equity in their houses right now. Sure. But we also have a lot of people with a lot of mortgages. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they balance each other out. It's not like the people with equity are out spending their equity because no. because the pe because the other people aren't, right? Yep. That's equity. It's not realized. It's not mobile money. It's but not the money cash in your yeah. bank. Yeah. But that money that 
people are now having to pay on those increased mortgages on a monthly basis. That's money that's not being spent in the economy. That's economic contraction, right? So to me, this really shows up in weakness of the Canadian dollar eventually, mm. contraction of GDP, right? Con- contraction and consumption. Like, I'm more worried about the Canadian tires or now, you know, the new Zellers coming. Yeah, HBC is bringing <laughs> yeah. back Zellers. Yeah. Like, those worry me more than, you know, RBC. They're diversified, right? Like, I don't right. think if you're shorting the Canadian housing market, you're shorting RBC. You're probably shorting the Canadian dollar, to be honest. Right. So I guess, you know, it kind of begs the question, when does this... Well, to explain to the layman, why do we need to increase interest rates in right. the first place? Why did that have to happen? Well, I mean, according to all the people on TikTok that <laughs> responded to, to our last podcast, uh, we don't need to because monetary <laughs> policy has nothing to do with inflation. Right. Um, but from my perspective and most economists' perspective, um, monetary policy is a tool that's used to cool the economy when it's running too hot. And we can we could argue that a component of inflation has to do with interest rates. Um, the funny part is, you know, I mean, today, I guess, is it the 18th? Yeah, August 18th. Um, inflation printed in Canada a couple of days ago, and it's coming down 7.5%. I haven't even looked at the stats can data because they do have the granular of like what what went up and down. Okay, yeah, and I yeah. and I've been meaning to analyze it. But in the US, their print was last week. Theirs was down as well. But the biggest component of that drop was fuel prices. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and the biggest component of or the biggest increase was house price or not house prices, housing. Housing costs. Housing yeah. costs, exactly. And housing costs are positively correlated to interest rates, right? Yep. In the short or long term. You know, in, uh, capital costs increase, developers develop less, capital costs increase, landlords charge more, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this battle kind of going on where monetary policy has a pull factor up on inflation on that piece. And and you, you can't say, like, it's not like, oh, yeah, congratulations, Federal Reserve and Bank of Canada, you guys cut fuel prices in half. Yeah. They had nothing to do with that, right? right? So I agree those components have nothing to do with monetary policy. The borrowing of money, et cetera, those things all have to do. And the housing piece that's still moving up is the part that needs to come down, needs to cool down, right? So monetary policy is used to basically, as they increase the rate of uh, the interest rate, people don't want to borrow as much money. It starts taking money out of the economy. People, you know, in in pure economic terms, people will save more, right? Because the interest rate's higher, so they're going to go put more money in the bank. Yep. That's a hypothetical, but it, the idea is that at least people, costs them more to go borrow money. Yeah, hopefully yeah. they're borrowing less. Right. The reality though is that we're still borrowing at net negative, like we talked about earlier. Right. You have a seven point six percent interest rate, and I can go get a seven point six percent rate of inflation, and I can go get. And I don't think anybody believes inflation is seven point six percent. No, right? everyone like, thinks it's way more. Right. It has to it. be. Like, yeah, exactly. So you know, and I can go borrow a five-year fixed at five percent. Like I, I, I should lever up. Like you're still the, ahead. I would yeah. be an idiot to not go on and take as much debt as humanly possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or a conservative operator. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how the whole thing uh, shakes out, but I don't think it's going to be pretty for Canada. I really, I don't think most of the Commonwealth is going to fare very well compared to the U.S. Yeah, I think the U.S. and some other areas. Like I think that, I mean, beyond the major challenges that China's seeing in their real estate market. Um, I think the Far East is like, we talked about this last time too, right? Like there's a, there's a jockeying of power. We're not in a centralized power world anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how that plays out as well. And, and you know, I mean, we're looking, we're staring down the barrel of potentially another 08 scale of real estate collapse, which these are levered assets. There's a lot of toxicity to the debt it's a mm-hmm. debt-based product, and now in, in China you have this massive 
unwinding happening there too, right? Yeah, I've seen some pretty scary stats on what what's happening in China. You guys have a couple of those fresh? Yeah, off we the top well, of your head. Even just this morning, there was that Twitter feed that uh, 66 million vacant homes, vacant homes in yeah. China, unfinished so, inventory, unfinished inventory. So I mean, just to put things in perspective, Canada needs eight point for six point five yeah, million need, homes yeah. by twenty thirty to match our housing demand. China currently has 66 million vacant homes. Jeez. Um, I just fresh in my memory from an episode we did as well, 23 out of the largest 100 developers in China have either gone to their creditors and said, we're not paying, or they've asked for an extension and they put major projects on hold. And then I believe 35% of Evergrande which is the biggest developer in the world, which now has the biggest debt pile in the world, 35% of their projects are on hold. Wow. And is are they in China? They're in China. Okay. So they, they operate all over China. They've got, you know, at one point had thousands of, of projects going on. And, and we're not talking projects like we've seen around here in Canada. Like we're talking... They're building cities. Like they're time. building like City Place, for instance, right? Which was one of the biggest developments in Canada ever, if not if not the biggest yeah. kind of planned development. Yeah. That's standard for them over there, right? So when we see, you know, okay, there's a couple projects being canceled here, times that by a thousand and, and you look what's happening in China. And then you add that on to the fact that there's now major strikes. Um, people not, like millions of people not paying their mortgages in China. In China, and yeah. it's not that's not even like a political move that they're not paying their mortgages. It's just that like the developers ran into capacity issues and they're not handing off the units the way that they said that they would. So they're right. giving people like unfinished units. So people, people have like, been living in unfinished yeah. units. So they're like, I'm not paying my mortgage on this thing. Like it's not what you. Right. There's you, no you, front they, door. The deals. Yeah. yeah. The deals. <laughs> literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. You know, but it's it's a mess. That's crazy, and and, like, and and all within the framework of a totalitarian government, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, yeah. We we want to stay off the the CCP's uh, list here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're on the list radar here. Yet. But uh, it's funny. Just on the, a little anecdote in the back end of our podcast, we, I love seeing all the random places people listen. Right, so we've got people listening in like the Congo and Tanzania, Argentina, really Madagascar. Um, Dan and I said we're that, not that or like it's just like some some, some, IP some Canadian, address. Yeah, some yeah. Canadian <laughs> guys like some weird IP address rerouting there but um the two well, there's three places we have not hit that I I, I won't stop until we get and that's North Korea China and Russia okay those are just blank on our map right now so yeah. um, oh, so we're good They're yeah all, well, we should be good we can Chinese, say whatever we want uh, yeah spies are listening from Canada anyways <laughs> but yeah so so the the question is is there a degree of risk associated with this in, in the Canadian market? Because a lot of people yeah. like to talk about the impact of Chinese money in Canadian real estate, mm, right? For sure. But, you hear that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's like this thing that we talk about here. And, you know, we analyzed it pretty heavily. I think from a foreign direct investment perspective, there's minimal risk. Like most of our foreign direct investment, which is foreign capital buying stuff in Canada, China's not even in the top 10, okay. right? Yeah. There's a lot of migration from most countries, or, or I think our three primary um, areas of immigration are from the Far East. I think it's India, China, and Iran right now. Okay. Um, so Far East and Middle East. And and a lot of capital comes with those people because they, they buy houses in Canada, right? Um, CMHC re uh, released a report recently that basically breaks down the impact of housing, or not the impact, sorry, the, the statistics of housing ownership by race in Canada. Mm. And um, Chinese Canadians own, they have the highest percentage of home ownership as a group. So I think it's like 90, over 90% of Chinese Canadians own their houses. Mm -hmm. And, um, the next piece is they have the highest value 
of okay. homes on yeah. average. And it's they're the only ones across Canada that have a value over a million dollars as of on the 2016 average. data. There's no updated data set on that. They just released, I think it was like 2011. No, what was it? It was like 2000. It's like every eight. five years. Yeah, but they don't have they don't have they don't have like yeah, recent changes since 2016. Yeah, right, a couple. Yeah. right. Um, but I mean, and 2016 was when you were really hearing that that sentiment among yep. Canadians um, start with, and the foreign ownership ban was like those those were the targets of that, right? Like yeah. that it was trying to in in BC they were trying to to sort of squander the impact of that on making housing un- unaffordable, and in the, in the same token, um, in Ontario in 2017, that's what that policy was designed for. And then when we spoke last right after the coalition government happened we saw an outright ban on foreign ownership in Canadian real estate I think statistically actual foreign ownership so non-Canadian residents own like 3.5% of real estate in either of those markets like between 3 and 4% it's really low right right? so that's why like I had mentioned I felt the policy was spineless yeah Um, you know the reality is we don't even have a beneficial ownership registry in Canada we don't really have an understanding of of how all this right and how all this thing this stuff is going to work so I think functionally like it's impossible to know whether or not there there is exposure Mm. I think that the reality is there's exposure on a global scale to well, the, yeah that's like that's yeah. my question is is how how kind of interdependent and incestuous is are the are all the markets with the chinese real estate market like yeah. i have no idea well I'm i think we're about to find out right because i don't know if it i don't know if there's direct correlations like it's not like you know some it's not like CMHC is selling mortgage-backed securities in Canada to Evergrande and right. now Evergrande. If you they know, go, it, we're the next. Yeah, yeah, or the, yeah it's not or the, the domino yeah, effect. Or, that, or like, yeah. yeah, they're going to call those securities or something. Like, it's not like the U.S. in that sense where it's mechanized. Yep. I think what the impact is is that you have this huge, um, like in Canada, you have this large Chinese diaspora of you know people who have immigrated to here. You see a lot of capital. You know, they're maybe they're covering positions that are now negative in in China, either in the equities market or in the the real estate market. That money comes out of Canada. That money comes out of the U.S. That money comes out of other areas, right? And so the the question is, is what does the negative wealth effect look like? Right. People trying to pay their their debts in China. Yeah, as a lot of that capital starts to repatriate into China to maybe not even just debts, but it's like liquidate other assets to get into a better equity position or whatever it is because we're seeing this deleveraging happening in the real estate market right now even in the development space i'm seeing developers want to downsize from five projects to one project just to focus right Mm -hmm. because it's not a market where you can run hot anymore so i'm interested that's that's probably the biggest from my perspective the biggest thing happening in in the world right now economically that's going to have a major impact and like People are comparing it to to the Lehman Brothers moment, and I think that is that why you wore that hat today. It, I, yeah, <laughs> I always wear it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I always wear that. But, hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, I mean, that was at the beginning. I think it was like March of last year was when Evergrande first defaulted, mm-hmm. and it was six hundred billion dollars, right? Which is what. Yeah. Um, or was it six six hundred million dollars? I think billions would be a lot. Uh, I, I believe it's like three hundred. I think I'm misquoting our episode. I thought it was eighty nine billion, but it's like three hundred billion because the Economist just put out that, right. that study. Yeah. But, yeah. So but, I mean, but, they got greedy, right? Yeah. Like they started an, an EV car quote. company. They bought a soccer team. They like they tried to diversify into literally everything. Really. And it's just like you know, yeah. stick stick with what you know, especially if what you know well, isn't going well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> maybe fix that. We don't first. need EVs, guys. Like, we need our houses. Stuff, don't to build be done. An, yeah, yeah. Don't build an electric car until you know this development is is completed. Um, mm-hmm. 
but there was also a lot of like you know president xi, xi jinping was saying that uh houses are for living and not not for investing right. and and that's mm. you know i think a large portion of the chinese population who was only recently in the last few decades allowed to, to buy, buy housing yeah. started to look at this and it was the same sentiment as canadian mm. real estate Man, this is an amazing investment. It only goes up. It's never gone down before. Well, it's never gone down because it only has like a 20 year history. Yeah. Right? So you're gonna go like this for the first 20 years. And I think that they really overextended themselves. Um, I think the developers got greedy and it kind of turned into a bit of a Ponzi scheme um, at the top. And uh, it's interesting because I mean, like the most logical place for a business to end up in, in a place like China is to be nationalized, right? Well, yeah. And so a lot of these, the, like, there's really no, when you have a debt pile that big, like in the US, there was bailouts and, and but I think in, in China, it's like, well, these are just ultimately going to become these state owned. Yeah. 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 They'll just absorb it. Yeah. And, which is an interesting piece of the puzzle from my perspective, because you hear a lot of talk and like TikTok is really interesting from my perspective with this stuff, because you have a lot of teenagers who in a lot of cases like don't really know what they're talking about per se but like are willing to try sure. to talk about it we're and, try to and, give some financial yeah. advice you've got to you've got to be the fool first before yeah. you learn anything yeah, for yeah. sure remember when wikipedia was yeah was the yeah. sketchy source of yeah. information now, now it's tiktok <laughs> yeah. yeah come but, a long way but you know people talking about the government needing to to be involved in housing like, i don't trust the canadian government to, to build housing well at all honestly i think no. that it's, if, if you had the current administration instantly the construction cost per square foot would double if they were building housing just because they would they have no clue what they're doing and every contractor in the market would be bidding on their jobs and and they would basically be a collusion that would drive construction costs up because everybody would just be working for the feds at twice what they could get for working in the private sector but yeah. but china i think could do a damn good job at providing housing for the, like if you were to nationalize a lot of those developers i think they do a good job i really do like and yeah, then, you know, I, mean, I, I, you know I, I think it's it's irrelevant if they do a good job or not. It's going to happen. Yeah, like, it is. You know, they've sure. already primed everyone there yeah. with enough propaganda that mm, they know, have the to do a good job yeah. at this yeah. point. There's no yeah. other choice. Yeah. No, I don't trust the Canadian government to deliver my mail or paint the roads <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fix the roads, even though there's a five million dollars a year in property tax. Right. Just just call the CRA. Tell me how your experience goes with them, and let's see how well things go when you try yeah. to tackle housing. Yeah. yeah no kidding. The, uh, you know, so so this kind of effect of of this inflationary, this COVID inflationary effect really widened the kind of wealth gap in Canada. Like we were saying on the last podcast, mm -hmm. there's less and less middle class. Yeah. Um, where does that lead to as far as kind of who who owns all these houses now that people are living in? Yeah, I personally think we're heading for a European model of homeownership, like Switzerland maybe being the best example. Um just because they have the, the lowest level of home ownership, but the highest net worth. I would hope that Canadians will invest their money in other places. Like we just have this obsession with using the primary residence as a wealth vehicle, mm -hmm. right? 70% of the Canadian net worth is concentrated in the primary residence. So you could, you know, you could just guess as to what that means to the net worth destruction that just happened in the past right. six months, right? Right. But I think that it's more than like there's different factors like this North American kind of mindset is different than the European mindset. You know, everyone who, everyone whose grandparents or great grandparents left Europe, they left for more freedom. Right. And I think the vehicle for freedom is property rights. Property rights. Yeah. yeah. But do we, do we have those per se? Well, like it's no. interesting no. in the conversation about China because I had somebody on, on a Twitter space who was talking about whether or not, you know, we're talking about whether or not immigration was a bull case for Canadian real estate. And, mm. and, and she was like a lot of my, colleagues from from China are actually going back because they can get a better quality of life there 
you know, and, and with the wage and home price, et cetera, you can afford things. And if you're, you know, if you're, you would be upper middle class in China, whereas you're lower middle class in sure. Canada, even if you're making like, you know, if your household income is like a quarter million dollars a year, like it's, it's nuts. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's why, that's what kind of gives me that, like where I would allude to like a Switzerland where, mm-hmm. you know, it's a country where, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're not making much unless you're like making like 500 K a year as a household. Right. Which like is crazy. Right. But there's a lot of people who are happy under that line. Yep. And here we don't have that. Like people feel really victimized by the system, I think, Mm. in Canada below a certain amount. It's because there's no, like we haven't properly represented their needs, Mm -hmm. right? And put together like a a housing, especially a housing system that takes care of the people who need it. Because the reality isn't like a, you know, capitalism doesn't, isn't a perfect allocator of capital. And certain people do need support with those things. And we just don't have a government that understands how to properly do that. If anything, they're actually actively standing in the way of doing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, from my limited perspective, I would argue completely that, that they're standing in the way they're, you know, like they're not, they're not going to be the ones who are going to step in and build low income housing. You know, it's, it's, and it has to be paid for by someone. So it has to make sense. It has to be profitable. They need to get out of the way and and allow developers to build something that makes sense. For sure. Yeah. And municipal elections are really what's going to determine that, I would say, over the next couple of months, I really think. Right. Like Toronto's municipal elections will be it's a lot of people seem to think that that John Tory is going to, to get reelected. But I, I would be very interested to see if that actually happens. Mm. Yeah. yeah and I mean, go ahead. I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I, you know, looking at all the data we've looked at in the past several months, Canada has really skewed itself from a statistics point of view with Vancouver Toronto, sure. essentially Vancouver and Toronto, and even the GTA. I can't. I'm going to paraphrase this and get it wrong, but I think it's one in four Canadians live in the GTA. And and then maybe not, Greater Golden Horseshoe, but yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, great. It's the Golden Horseshoe. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah, one yeah, yeah. one in four Canadians live in the Golden Horseshoe, and then ninety something percent live within a hundred kilometers of the border. Hundred miles, yeah. Hundred miles of the border. border. So okay, screwed both of those stats. <laughs> we're, we're, good. we're good. We're good. We're good. Guy's an elephant. So so that being said. Um, you know, we're only really ever looking at essentially the golden horseshoe. Right. Right. right? Like yeah. that, that's where the stats come from. Right. Yep. Like if we looked at Winnipeg, Regina, Moncton, New Brunswick, a lot of the places that have come up a lot on the podcast mm. that we've analyzed stats for, you know, those are the places where there's real opportunity. And those are the places mm. I'd like to see our government do something about. Right. I mean, if you go to Saskatchewan, I can't remember someone was just telling me a, a specific city there, but essentially the only thing there is a, is a, is an army base. And that is literally what brings in everything. Why don't we try to focus on building out, incentivizing people to go in and live in those places, right? So whether it's putting some type of government subsidized business, like subsidizing any business that wants to go to one of these lesser, you know, less mm-hmm. sexy spots in Canada, that there is a ton of opportunity. I mean, you can buy livable places in Saskatchewan for as little as thirty to fifty thousand dollars. Yep, for sure. That's a parking spot in Toronto. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's it it does actually like make you wonder whether or not like what I had just said about the renters' economy would happen in maybe those bigger cities. But exactly. then you almost get a, an effect like the U.S., where mm-hmm. you have all of these like flyover areas that now have become popularized because of COVID. But um, in in Canada, could could start to happen. It's like maybe you just need to give them each a 
ML, MLB team and like an <laughs> NFL team, and they'll yeah. be like, yeah. you know, like, could we maybe like, let's not the CFL doesn't cut it. No, maybe they just <laughs> no, get absorbed or something. We're going to broker that deal, right? And then, because like in the States, it's like every, like I know the name of more US cities than Canadian cities yeah, probably, right? For sure. Like, yeah. They all have their own identity. Yep. They're all like different. Canada's yeah. like almost the opposite of that. Like every, I feel like you drive to any city or any like town in Ontario and like you can see the same subdivision. Oh, for sure. As far as suburbia goes, yeah. yeah. The, or, yeah. or you see the historic, unique historic downtown, which right. is literally just, the exact same. Yeah. Copy and paste Southern yeah, Ontario, yeah. some Presbyterian church. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one steeple, a couple brick buildings, and boom, there you go. It's just history right there. Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't... I think it could happen naturally though, you know, as far as people taking their wealth, set like selling their house, taking their bag and going to move to fricking, you know, Moncton. Yeah. Yeah, it know? could. It could. I, I don't like it's I guess it's gonna depend on how much it costs continues to cost to live in the GTA. Because like I think that like the thesis that it is sort of like this world-class city and people want to move here is relatively correct. Um, mm -hmm. And there's major costs associated with that, right? Yeah. And and people are going to get pushed out. Like, it, the challenge is, like, do you start to see young people leaving, right? Um, right. Because they're like, this is a rip-off. Like, I'm going to be on a hamster wheel for the rest of my life. Well, and that's, like, that's the thing. It's, like, I think we're so... <sighs> we're so biased because we all grew up in the GTA that everyone deserves to live in the GTA or the right. world owes you to live in the GTA. There's, and it doesn't, man. Yeah. You could live in Wichita. You could go live in yeah. the middle of Saskatchewan and, you know, do whatever and farm and, yeah, you know, yeah live in a $30,000 house. Yeah. Um, man, Paris of the Prairies. Like, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Like it's, but there's, like, those are beautiful cities. Oh, Two yeah. beautiful cities. Calgary yeah. even is, like, a great city, and actually, I found out recently as a data point that has a, on average, cooler climate than Toronto. Yeah, Calgary. Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, sorry, warmer climate. Warm, warmer. Warmer. So, with the wind coming off the over the mountains or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah she gets yeah. hot out there in the yeah. summer. <laughs> yeah, does it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We raced in. Uh, we raced well, just south of two hour or no 40 minutes south of Edmonton right and that's some of the hottest races of the really? year really yeah wow. interesting yeah you can yeah. see the wildfires burning in the distance right. not this year but in the past years wow cool Very <laughs> California cool. style oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. and I think Calgary a lot of people are actually being attracted like you're starting to see political migration in the states mm. and in Canada I think like there's a, a degree of that happening globally as well but like um you know a lot of people going to Sunbelt states right um COVID did like changed a lot of things for that from that perspective and you know there are like i think we talked about this on the last podcast too right these the the extremes becoming more and more mm. polar right and people Politically, yeah yeah. Yep. yeah and so people are are kind of trying to find that that a geographical area that represents what they are about too right yep. you see that on like on the left too political migration but, oh for but sure on the right side i think alberta you know like probably saw quite a bit of that to be honest yeah I, i've you know anecdotally i've uh i was trying to buy a house around here in the last i don't know call it a year ago and the number of, and this was peak covid right and the reactions at the front door were you know one side or the other side as right. far as you know me knocking on someone's door right. during covid and the number <laughs> of people that i heard were like i'm getting out of this place i'm going to calgary or i'm going to florida right. was astronomical right yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, Crazy. we've even seen that. Uh, so we've gotten a bunch of emails from from the podcast so far nationally, which has been really cool because it's provided some great insight into yeah. the struggles of a Canadian that mm. I would have never spoken to or heard their story from. And a lot of them have been migrating from 
out from Toronto to, and Vancouver to other places, right? Mm. Just being like, yeah, we sold our house in Vancouver, made a pretty penny, and now we're going to go buy two places in Calgary. Yep. So it's 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 really interesting to see the kind of the shifts that that this economic mm-hmm. and if the disparity, jobs and, yeah. And, and yeah, and if and, the and jobs also, end up there, then then those cities will be like I'm more bullish on. I think Calgary is probably one of the areas I'm most bullish on right now. Mm. Quebec City a little bit too um, from the resurrection of tourism, et cetera. But I mean Canada, we we like when I talk about the Canadian dollar being the short opportunity in, in Canada, like we need to decouple housing from our dollar or a dollar from housing right now. Like, and that requires economic diversification. Like we're the second most resource rich country in the world. Right. Uh, yeah. So why are we not? We're just chilling, making, on, chill, yeah. just chilling on those resources. Well, and right it's now. like, yeah. you have the States who is going to come in and do that for us basically. Right. Like just will become this, you know, satellite yeah seriously like a resource playground for somebody america or china likely yep right to come and extract these things and use their system that they have economically called capitalism to to make money on those resources which is like what's happening anyway like most of the electricity from um quebec gets like sent to the states literally so there's line loss and then sold to ontario anyway yeah which is like just just like yeah. brain damage so to play, think we're about we're playing right. ourselves yeah. Yeah. yeah also what what was that what did you just say playground the uh the resource, resource playground, playground. Yeah. i like that yeah. that's, uh, that's where we're gonna be good. for sure and like yeah i mean the, you got battery metals like you got lithium lithium ion fresh water metals fresh water timber like all of the like it's like i just don't get it how and we're so far behind now like you just left a lot of opportunity behind we need to diversify into those and i just i think it's it's an administrative problem right i don't think we have or it's a political problem i don't yeah. think we have the government that's capable of, of doing that right like they're like focusing on these billion dollar stimulus bills rather than saying hey like maybe if we plan for the future and build uh, an economy yeah then yeah. With, you know yeah right yeah, yeah. Jeez. Like we're ex- exporting STEM workers in Canada. We train some of the best people in, right? yeah, like uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, right? Like people are all going to Silicon Valley. It's crazy. You guys are looking at, um, you, like you were up in Quebec City. Yeah. And you're looking at kind of all these different different spots within Canada. Yeah. Uh, are you looking to the guys like personally invest in these places or just yeah. doing, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And, and what kind of assets? Multiplex, probably. Multiplex. Yeah, like minimum. I don't think I'll ever buy a property with less than three doors again. Okay. Likely. Yeah. I just don't see, like, it's just not, it doesn't fit the mandate from my perspective. Like, I want to be a housing provider. I don't want to be a housing speculator because I think speculate, I think everybody wants to demonize, like, investors, but it wasn't investors who caused the problem. It was speculators, right? There's an important distinction. Like, the Bank of Canada has the data. Basically, people who were buying their second home Mm -hmm. was, like, the pro. like, you can see it. It, That was the problem, right? So, it was people who feel like a genius they're like oh shit i'm good at this real estate stuff yep <laughs> just made a 30 percent year over year return yeah i'm gonna go lever this puppy up and buy a house because i i am going to be i'm gonna retire a billionaire with the strategy do this once a year just yeah. lever it up right 30 yeah. percent gains <laughs> every year yeah every yeah. year and uh and so like that was that was what the problem was and then these aren't career investors like the demonization of investors from my perspective is stupid and right. needs to stop right Career investors don't, they weren't buying during COVID. They were all selling stuff. They, yeah. were, they were literally offloading properties to these idiots who, you know, were levering up and buying houses. And the, the, the ones who are second time 
like you know the lever up buyers they are they have inexperienced realtors they've only transacted a couple of times in their life when you hear about exuberance that's yes. who is responsible for it mm. right right i mean yeah like the the investor or the actual landlord who's a real operator is is creating value there he's yeah. providing housing yeah like you said yeah so that you guys mentioned on one of your first episodes that you guys were going to kind of circle back with your audience about your own personal portfolios yeah what can you give me a brief overview of what you guys are looking for or what you have yeah so i'm mostly exposed to northern ontario mm. i just i'm waiting on a closing for my last gta asset so i'll be like fully out of the of the gta um, and what's that uh place in newmarket okay yeah it's a house within detached adu okay and um it's it's sold it's just waiting for closing that keeps getting delayed because of financing issues right now in the market um but uh, but yeah that so the rest is all in northern ontario i don't know probably just over a dozen doors long-term rental all all long-term rental yeah um most of the tenants are either um unindexed pensioners on some sort of welfare program which i, I actually take pride in providing yeah housing to those people nobody else wants to to cater to the ow or uh, odsp tenant um so that or people working in in the mines or in the trades up in you know i'm like rural sudbury right so okay. um and uh yeah so that's that's basically what i'm doing and i want to try and find more housing opportunities like that across the country i don't think there's enough opportunity in ontario with where prices are right now but i want to kind of cater to i want to cater to people like basically like your section 8 stuff in the states right what's that section 8 is basically like a government program where the government pays for the rent of um welfare recipients, yep. Section 8 housing recipients, in uh, they pay it directly. Right? Okay. Um, in Canada, it's similar, but like if you get ODSP or OW, which are massively undervalued, by the way, like um, they're getting $700 a month for shelter allowance. Um, and so, wow. and you can collect that directly from ODSP or OW, um, but then obviously they're in most cases topping it up because right. I don't know anyone who has $700 a month rent in Ontario. No, I do. Yeah, yeah, you you read to them, <laughs> but but Great. so like yeah, so couple but, of slum landlords yeah, here. Yeah, 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 come on now. Yeah. No, but we well, take we take myself. Good, yeah, yeah, but we take good care of the properties and provide housing to like people who nobody else is lining up to provide housing for. Right? Yeah, and no, that's, absolutely. That's, that's what that's what I want to continue doing is creating affordable housing. That's sort of what what my goal is. And, I like that. Yeah. And what do you, what are you looking to do? What do you? Yeah, I mean. Look, very very similar to Dan. I don't I don't own anything in. Yeah. I guess Peterborough's in the in the GTA. Is it technically? No, no. 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 Okay, so I don't own anything in the GTA sure. either. I don't desire to own anything in the GTA. I mean, the stuff that I would like to buy is either a bad investment or or too expensive. Yep. Um, I own property in Cornwall. Very bullish on Cornwall. Actually, mm. looking at some deals there right now. Um, Peterborough as well. Uh, we but, should just talk about that duplex. We'll fundraise for it right now and get Yeah, we should. So I, I, I just found this. Uh, <laughs> I just found a duplex up in up in Cornwall for one hundred and seventy nine thousand. There you go. The cash flows. That's like a pre COVID price. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, like, look, who manages these these things for you? Like, are you driving all the way out to Sudbury all he, the time? Yeah. Are you oh. driving out to Cornwall? So he's managing your stuff too. No, no, no. So, I've, okay. I've, uh, yeah. So we just got to the scale of getting a manager on the Northern Ontario stuff. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, before it was me and, and Johnny actually, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, driving up there, you know, yeah, spending time I mean, in the truck. I put uh, 25,000 kilometers on in, in five months um, last year when I had a bunch of active stuff going on up in Cornwall. But, you know, once you once you get the places rented and the tenants are in there and, and really once you 
have a bit of a team in place, mm -hmm. right? Like you can become a lot more hands off, right? I mean, for instance, I've I had two phone calls from Cornwall tenants this morning. Put me in a great mood to come to this podcast, of course. <laughs> uh, seeing those calls come in, they just wanted to tell you how good a job you're doing. Yeah, you're gonna do great, sweetie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it was uh, it's cold in the basement. I don't know. I don't. I don't even want to get into it because it's just been very frustrating the last two weeks. Because every single property I have has some something's gone on in the last two weeks, from bats to plumbing to to someone being cold. Um, yeah, I mean. I try to I try to do two things. One, I like the part of being actively involved in my assets right now. Sure. I feel like anyone should, especially at the beginning. You know, I've only been doing this for a couple of years. I don't have a huge portfolio. I want to know everything about all of them so I can learn the lessons here as I start to scale up. Where you can save time is again, if you're going to be doing the long distance investing thing, which if you're in the GTA, listen to this, you probably are. Um, find good tenants that are going to have pride of ownership and take mm. care of the property themselves, and also. On top of that, build out systems so that when something does happen, a clogged sink, um, pest, you need pest control or anything like that, you have people that either the tenants can call mm. or that you just like, I've, you know, I've got a plumber now that I just text and say, hey, can you go back to that unit? Yep. So it's become a lot less work for me. Um, and as obviously as Dan said, as, as you, you know, economies of scales grow, that's why I want to keep investing in the places I already have a stake in because right. it'll be a lot easier to, you know, if I go buy one in Kingston and then one in Belleville and then one in Sudbury, well, then I really am driving all over the place like an idiot. So but if I can get a Cessna. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or a helicopter. But if I can, <laughs> if I can own 30 properties in, in Cornwall, I look at it a few different ways. One, I can be part of a, a larger gentrification in the best way possible of that entire area. Right, I can help with I can help the actual housing improve in that entire yeah, area. Improve the supply of improve housing. Improve the that supply. Area. And yep. and that's really what I look at and what Dan and I constantly talk about on the podcast is, you know, we've brought it up here, speculation, trader, et cetera. Those aren't you're not a real estate investor. Yeah. Real estate investors buy stuff to add value to them. So I look for properties that I can add value to. I look for properties with a you know, less of a barrier to entry and that's taken me after enormous amounts of research to the places that I'm in right now. Let me uh, just pause there. I gotta take a leak. Do your thing. You guys, you guys good? I yeah. might take a leak too, actually. It's yeah. not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, what tracks behind you? That's Mostport. Nice. CTMP. Yeah. That's yeah. actually the next tattoo I'm getting. My brothers and I are all getting the Monaco. They're getting circuit. the Monaco circuit. Yeah. You're getting yeah. one too. Yeah. Have you been to the race? I, it's, that's my literally my life goal. Actually, so one of my life goals after after I've made enough money with the real estate thing that I can start doing some more fun shit. Yeah. Um. I figured it probably cost around two hundred thousand. I want to go to every F one oh. race in one season. In probably one season, film the whole thing, just do a the groupie. Whole thing. Just, oh, dude, I fucking love it. I I literally love F one. Really? Yeah. So what? You've been to the Canadian Grand Prix? I have not been to any. None. None. Not yet. So no. what are you? What are you going to the first one? <laughs> That's a are good. You're gonna do it all in one season. All, all in one year. Yeah, yeah. dude. I, yeah. I get taken. I don't take people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take you. There yeah. you go. Just give me a couple of years. <laughs> I'm thinking literally, yeah, by the, so I'm, I'm 32 right now. This is like kind of a five-year plan. I figure that finances will be in order. It's also like I, I probably need, you know, six, seven months of, of just b very little work. And so I have to, I have to be very well-structured back here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's been a life goal of mine for a long time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So who's your guy? <laughs> I've got so many I, I, questions. I'm a big, I'm a big Leclerc fan. Okay. Um, it's honestly who's like not my guys because I really like a lot of them. <laughs> That's I, great. Uh, 
you know, Fernando Alonso, yeah, absolute legend. Yeah. Um, hated to see Kimmy go, but it was time for him to go. Hate to see Vettel go. Well, time for him, him to go. We're gonna see Kimmy at Watkins Glen. Yeah. A weekend or two. Yeah, in the Cup car. He's racing NASCAR. Oh yeah, he is. I forgot yeah. about him. I love it. He can't stay away. It's no. it's, it's truly incredible. Um, you know, you had your buddy Lance Stroll on. I, I like yeah. Lance just for the Canadian aspect. Fortunately, don't love the other Canadian. He won't go. Well, the goat. We won't just keep yeah. that name out of there. <laughs> well, I want to get him on the podcast. I got to get him on. He'd be a really interesting guy to have on he because he's like controversial in in certain ways because of what happened last year with the accident. Yeah. And, you know, certain things like that. And poor guy. He, I mean, he got a lot of hate for it. But I'm also of this sense that you know, it's such a coveted seat. Yep. That if you're not performing, and I yep. mean, if you're not performing at all, mm -hmm. it's time to go. Right. So even with like guys like Danny Rick, right? Absolutely love the Honey Badger, but like, you know, he's made some bad choices and he's probably, I think this is it for him now too, right? If, I don't know if I don't did McLaren know. sign him again. I don't No, I don't. I think, I don't think he's they kind did of up in all. the air right yeah, now, right? So, yeah, I mean, look, I love all the young guys. I love, I love signs. I really love Checo. He's not a, he's not a young guy. He's been around forever, but yeah. he is just like the ultimate team player. Um, you know, Max, I only really liked because he beat Lewis and yeah. I, I just, can't stand Lewis Hamilton. Sorry to everybody. I'm going to get some flack for that one for <laughs> that's okay. sure. That's the headline. This yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's what the title of this podcast real estate, is. Real estate I investor hates Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Very relevant information here. Um, I got to be nice to him. He's got a Cobra that we want to buy. Well, of course he does. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, we'll just get him to sit in the Schumacher car. And, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. that'll be. <laughs> well, it's an it's an EV Cobra, right? Because he's net net. Net zero emissions yeah, or something. His yeah. dog's vegan and yeah. Yeah, yeah, plant based and all this stuff. He's an interesting guy. I'm not a not a fan of everything he does, but you know, obviously, there's no doubt about it. he's yeah, you know, one of the best legend. drivers yeah. ever. It did help that he had the best car, best team, biggest budget in in an era that no one else could really compete. That that all helped, but Formula One seems to do that right uh, up until. You know, it seems to go right. It was the Red Bull years before that, and then it was the yep. Ferrari years before that. It's I miss the old days where it was, you know, a different team winning every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't happened in a long time. But it's coming around. It's it good. is. It it's is. Good. It's getting a lot more competitive. I've actually made it my mission to go around and, and try to tell everybody to watch it. So I'm not the only one watching and screaming at the yeah, TV I've every Sunday pitch. morning. I've, <laughs> I've pitched Dan on it several times. And it's like I'm trying to get him out to golf. He just... It's difficult. It won't do it. It's too busy working. Too yeah, busy yeah. working. While working and dadding, right? Dadding takes a lot. Dadding, yeah. See, I don't have kids, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. true. I, uh, but, but yeah, no, that that's that's a goal. Um, you know, I should probably start with one race, yeah. but I'm a kind of shoot for the stars kind of guy. Yeah, so, make sure you like yeah. it. Yeah, it's oh, too yeah. loud for me. <laughs> it's uh, it's book all your tickets. <laughs> you know, it's I, I, it's it's funny because it's one of those things where it's probably better to watch it on TV. It is because you get you get all the you get all the corners. You know, you don't want to be in the grandstand at one corner in Monaco and and not see the, the rest of the race. But it's more just I think being there would be would be yeah. so cool. And again, you get to go to all these amazing places. Like if you actually watch any of the YouTube videos, the back end of of how they transport all this shit from country to country overnight. Like it is truly insane. The, Do they the party they, like NASCAR though? Like, no. Who? No. who? Who well, actually, you would yeah, know. You who, would know that. <laughs> who specifically? The drivers? No, I know. Like, oh, you know, people? like at NASCAR. Pit, pit like, like, I went, I've only been to one NASCAR race in my life, but it was like no, it's the pretty similar. Wildest just thing I've end. ever seen in my whole life. Like the, well, that was yeah, Michigan. There's, there's not free beer at they're F1 not races. Bush lights, <laughs> yeah. but they're, like, you know, they're they're drinking nightclubs out of like RVs and stuff like that. Like yeah, okay, NASCAR's a next level. Yeah, you can go anywhere. Yeah, there's free beer. There's like yeah, nightclub. Who knows what's going on there? 
But no, you go to Montreal, like the Quebecers freaking love racing. Yeah. We raced at Three Rivers two weekends ago and they had 125,000 people through the event. Crazy. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That's awesome. I love and that. And they're freaking like on the fence. Yeah. 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 Like they love it. Yeah. They love it. But to get back to real yeah. estate stuff. Sorry, anyways, <laughs> no, I had to get no, that no. out there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You guys, so you want to build, why, why just residential real estate that you want to invest in or is it, I is want that to go, the case? It, I'd like to go commercial. I just yeah. don't think the, I, I'm not there yet, right? Okay. Yeah. There's a different scale you got to get to. Like once you, I think there's like kind of three different levels, right? Like there's people who buy the odd house and can build a retirement out of it. And mm-hmm. they're typically with an A lender. I've, I've only ever borrowed from an A lender once and it was kind of like, it was a, a chance, right? Like, yep. uh, so you end up on the B side and the push is like, you can end up getting portfolio loans, et cetera. Eventually you get bigger than that. And you're almost like in the private equity space. You're doing, you know, f- fundraising. Um, you bring in equity partners, you're getting, you know, specialized facilities from probably going back to the A lenders, right? right. Cause they're like looking for your business now. That's where you start getting into like development and, um, and ownership of commercial space. I, I think that like when the time is right, where I know what I'm doing well enough to mm-hmm. build commercial, operate commercial, et cetera. Um, that's absolutely what I'll do. I think I want to start within the next couple of years, picking off some like high street properties. Like I'm really bullish on those like old downtowns that you guys were talking about. Like, yeah. 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 Like those, yeah. Historic mill towns, right? Like ground floor retail, a couple of residential suites above like on main street. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or even in like the city of Toronto, like you can go by and like Corso as an example in Toronto, um, you know, where Nick and I have some investors looking, you can buy a high street triplex with like ground floor retail, two residential above for mm-hmm. less money than you can go buy a detached, like on the street behind it. Right. right. So there's a, there's like, from my perspective a value arbitrage there, especially as we get into density, as we get more into the institutional ownership, you see more investors owning product, like end users, you're not competing with end users on that. You're not competing with the marginal buyer. So I think that like those are better priced assets today. Right. Just because um, there's less competition yeah. to, to buy them. So that would be mixed use is probably where I'll end up eventually mm. too. And my goal would be to get some of those. But pure commercial, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not the right guy for it. If I was, I would do it. Like I have nothing against it. I just, mm-hmm. I'm not like, you know, we know guys from from our program in, in Wealth that are excellent at it. Yep. Some of the best in, in the country in commercial real estate. I'm just, I'm not one of them, I would say. Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't realize you were a Guelph guy too. Yeah, we yeah. went to university together. Yeah, just I was a year, I think two years ahead of you guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. At the same program? No, no. Okay. But uh, but at Guelph, I, I and I went to I went to college afterwards. But I also spent time after in trappers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in one of the cages. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, after after university, um, after going to Guelph, I went and took construction engineering management. So I started off my career on the construction side of things, okay. but then also went back and worked at a commercial real estate brokerage for a bit. So similar to answer to Dan, I think that I I want to get my hands on as many different, you know, I'd love to, I think it'd be cool to own a gas station. I want to own Airbnbs. I want to own storage, storage facilities. Those are businesses. Those are, those, those are, are businesses. Uh, exactly. Right. So uh, you've, again, it's got to get to that scalability point where yes, it's a business, but if you have a business running that business, sure. you're better off right now. It's just, it's basically just me. Yeah. Right. So, so you're a real, like a real enthusiast. You want to, you want to taste every, every piece of the market. I, I think it'd be, you know, within within reason, and and it really comes down to you know what deal makes sense, mm-hmm. right? I was just talking to a good friend of mine who's a private lender the other day, and he just did his first commercial deal 
with a got a couple of friends together as actually, a private lender or as an as, owner as a private lender okay um and they actually it was in georgina i meant to tell you this yesterday we can go over the deal because i was like i want to talk about it on the podcast because yeah. it's a badass deal but anyways they you know, when we say commercial, it also doesn't mean, you know, one of the big office towers downtown, right? Sure. A commercial can be, you know, this guy was buying a, it was a triplex as well as an auto body shop. So the whole property was zoned commercial. Mm. They went and looked at his books. He wanted to do some improvements, didn't have the money. So they lent him the money on the private side. Anyways, really, really cool deal. And, and that's, you know, just because you say commercial, I think immediately people, it's the same thing as if you say B lender, immediately people, there's a connotation with it, right? Yep. I think commercial, I'm thinking... You know, what am I buying? Like a, a Walmart Plaza or, or a 10-story yeah. building? No, a commercial is anything with a business on it. So it's just a different way to analyze stuff. You can do small cap commercial, small cap industrial, which is another thing that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think I can speak for both of us when it just comes down to a deal-by-deal deal basis. Yeah. Um, right now, I want to stay in my lane with the duplexes and triplexes, residential, build out you know, buy the land that the property's on, buy the property and improve that property. And I think you know, for a guy that hasn't been doing it as long as Dan, um, my advice to anyone out there listening that wants to start is your best bet is to start with a duplex. Yeah. Or start with a single family home that you can convert, convert to a duplex, but that's still a lot more work. If you can buy a duplex and even house hack it or or just buy it straight up, you need 20% down if you're not going to live in it. But that's that's the way to do it. Um, it it's just familiar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Everyone's lived in a house. Everyone's lived in a house. You got grass to cut. Um, you know, there's no major, you're not dealing with uh, utilities on an industrial or, or commercial scale, right? You can have one one or two meters. It's it's hydro. It's the same bills you've always been paying if you're paying the bills your tenants are. It's easy. It's yep. a lot easier to set up and, and to run than it is to try to deal with a you know commercial leases or commercial financing, right? If as soon as you get past that threshold, everything changes. Mm-hmm. So stay in my lane for now. But yeah, I mean obviously, early days definitely want to. Um, you know, grow and, and look for deals anywhere and everywhere across the country and in, and in different asset classes. You have any good uh, rental stories? Any good tenant How much tenant, more time do we stories? have? Yeah, <laughs> holy shit, I got nothing yeah, but. Yeah, I got lots. <laughs> I got lots. Give me your best one. I Well, actually, the, the one, I had a guy send me a, a um, Interact e-transfer request like a couple of days ago for some money of <laughs> a tenant he, that I haven't heard from in like wait, over a re- year. Yeah, He requested the money from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this one out, but I've, I've decided just not to engage the person because we don't have a business relationship anymore. Yep. But, um, but yeah, that was a bad one. Like they completely destroyed the house Jeez. to like, yeah, 50, 50 grand in renos oh, they man. owed me. I, it would have been like halfway through COVID. took like about eight months to get them out of the house, so... A lot of people don't. I mean, that, yeah, I, that um, I've had lots of stories, man, lots. Um, but yeah, I, I try not to, to touch on them too much. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, yeah. I've got two. I'll just keep them really. Yeah, you don't have to name names. I won't. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be naming. They they would never listen to this anyways. Um, <laughs> so other than again, uh, you know, when you're doing real estate like like Dan and well, Dan was and I still am right now. You're, you're it's not passive. You're actively involved. As I said, you know. Every property of mine has had some issue, and my properties are all in great shape. Every one of them has had some issue between clogged sink, bats. It happens. It, yeah. it happens, right? It's just, you know, it happens at your house. It's going to happen at someone else's house, even if you own that house. So, oh, where to begin with this guy? This uh, this elder, very angry man um, who I just went to battle with. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't wake up and choose violence ever. Um, <laughs> this guy does. And, uh, yeah, long story short, it, it all started with, like, uh, a, 
a drip in his kitchen sink, which then escalated to the fireplace needs to be replaced. The washer and dryer need to be moved. Um, this whole wall needs to be uh, taken out and re-insulated. Um, and he started accusing me of being a slumlord and a horrible landlord. And uh, the slumlord stuff really... I, I really dislike that because I've seen a ton of slumlord stuff. Absolutely. And we all I, went to university. Yeah. 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 And, and I, one of the reasons I wanted to do what I'm doing is I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. I actually, I hate landlords that, that do that because yeah. it gives the rest of us a bad name and that's why we get demonized. Anyways, it all escalated to the point where, I, I mean, I was talking to my lawyer almost every day with this guy because he was saying he was going to sue me because there was mold in the place and he's losing his mind. Now, mind you, when this is happening, I'd only owned the place for four months. Right. So this, the first two, three months were great. And then all this started happening in one month. He was trying to add my mom and other family members on Facebook and literally like harassing me and my entire family. Um, it all, I ended up squashing the beef, but it all, I walked into, into the unit at one point and I swear, like, I don't... I don't know if anyone watches um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but at one point, Charlie has this, like, you know, those, like, string charts where, like, there's a whole yes, bunch yeah, of different yeah. things. There's a meme about it. There's a meme about <laughs> yeah. it, yeah, so if anyone hasn't seen it. But anyways, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, this guy literally had hundreds and hundreds of photos laid out on the, and, and like, literally a binder full of documents laid out on his kitchen table as if I was walking into, like, a courtroom, and he's basically being like, you know, this is why you're, this is why you're done. And I was just like, what? <laughs> the pictures, you know, after looking at things, I was like, this this guy's literally lost it. Um, I ended up speaking to his daughter on the phone and she apologized on his back. She's like, sorry, my dad's a, my dad's just a mean guy. Yeah. Um, anyways, ended up getting that one done. That was just literally like months of, of just extreme stress. Like I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be three, actually, uh, so Sundays to me for, for F1 are, are, are sacred, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're sacred for other reasons for some people, but <laughs> um you know, this guy would, I'd wake up to three missed calls before eight o'clock from this guy on a Sunday morning regarding nothing. Um, you know, diplomacy and, and knowing your rights as a, as a landlord are, are, are very, very key. Mm -hmm. Having a good lawyer, a good paralegal, very, very key. Um, I'll finish that one and I'll just, I'll, I have another funny one. This is not one of my properties. It's a friend of mine that, that I helped him figure out how to rent his basement suite. Um, he had actually bought the, the property with a tenant in it. Uh, the tenant was just an older guy, a bit of a beauty though. Um, believe he was a veteran with some health problems and they had gone away on vacation. They came back and his car was there, but the lights were on. It had been all, all night. And there was just some things that they noticed that, that were a bit weird. So they went down and checked on him and unfortunately he had passed, passed away. away. Yeah. Um, not shocking older yeah. gentlemen, health issues, et cetera. Um, so they tried to, they opened it up and they, it, it wasn't until they actually got into the unit that they realized he, he was, he was dead. And, uh, so they, they didn't know what to do. So they called the cops. Well, the cops then took my buddy down to the station and tried to arrest him for just on suspicion of murder. No I told you this, way. didn't I? I, yeah, 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 I totally forgot and it. he was like, guys, I just got back from vacation. Why the hell would I want to murder my tenant? Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Like, and then call the cops on myself. And then call the cops on myself. Yeah. He's so... So uh, again, small town. So I think, you know, 15 cop cars showed up and uh, big you know, it was just a, uh, you know, I guess no one had anything better to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I guess the stories, you know, the stories go on and on and on. There's, I guess what I'm getting at is when you own rental properties, there's never a dull moment. You, 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 you want and cherish the dull moment because that's when things are going well. And anytime yeah. it's not a dull moment, you're dealing with some shit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's not it's not passive income, right? People got to realize that. 
for sure. Real estate is not passive income. So don't don't let TikTok fool you with you know the dancing and pointing at all the reasons that real estate's passive income. And Dan, you don't do any of the dances on TikTok. No, I don't. Do yeah, I only point at charts now. I'm go. gonna start though soon. I'm taking dancing lessons. <laughs> yeah, good. good. <laughs> I'm not doing well on TikTok, so I gotta get some dancing. Right? <laughs> uh, in in I guess one of your recent episodes, because I was listening to a couple of them, you talk about uh, these kind of zombie companies yeah. and uh, your I- not your idea, but but you would urge people to look at becoming their own landlord for sure. Um, speak to that a little bit. Like, yes, I think that um, one of the like what is a zombie company? Yeah, so with? yeah, so I guess there's a couple of different interpretations of it but in this in the u.s a zombie company is basically like a a company that wouldn't be able to survive without um bailouts or like uh corporate welfare basically okay but in canada it's more companies that are just existing for the sake of servicing all of their employees like you know paying the ceo etc it's basically Mm -hmm. just this tool that doesn't doesn't make any money it's not growing it's not a business that exists to create equity or or grow or build a brand or anything they just basically it services all of its people let's right. say um and you know the other yeah and and, and it, real estate is, is similar to it's like a lifestyle business right you run this business per se and all it does is just pays for your lifestyle um, like but, as a real estate agent yeah so the you know a lot of these businesses could potentially be the uh, the type of business that that you are building equity and if they had assets right? right but a lot of them don't so one of the things I encourage people to do, like I've, I've helped a lot of like people in the landscaping space do this as an example, or in the construction, et cetera, is like buy small commercial units, a, co- a commercial condo as an example, because you're going to pay a sunk cost anyways for rent. Most, rent, most yeah. businesses need space, right? Yeah. So the idea would be, you know, can they, or w- would they be willing to buy a commercial condo to run their business out of so they can start amortizing that loan and rather and building equity rather than just paying debt? Um, so I would say it's a great wealth building tool for businesses, especially because it's probably the only place in, in Canadian real estate where you can get higher leverage than that 95% loan to value that you see a lot of end users getting in residential real estate, right? People buy high loan to value owner occupied homes. You can right. do the same thing through like Desjardins, I think, um, BDC, Business Development Bank of Canada have programs where you can get cl- basically 100% loan to value if you're a business and you're, u- and you're using purchasing real estate to you know, exist within it. You see, large industrial businesses do this all the time. Right. right, it makes the most sense for them. It's not for a, for a business that's so big. It's not hard for them to run a building, right? Right, and they have to anyway. And if they were a tenant, they'd probably be triple net. Like they'd be you doing know, everything anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So you might as well own it. And that's my philosophy, honestly. At the end of the day, is you might as well own it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, where do you guys go to other than data? Who do you look to? Who are you listening to right now? What kind of books are you reading? Anything of interest right now? Doesn't even have to be books. real estate stuff. Podcast, I think I mentioned man. that Come the on. fourth turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, podcasts only. Did I mention the fourth turning on the last episode? No, no, yeah. no, no, that, no. That's a book that I read that has been extremely profound. What's um, that about? It's basically like talks about these generational cycles, almost like economic cycles. So how the, every every hundred years, there's like these cycles, turnings, they call them. And it's based on Ray Dalio. No, but it's, it's very similar. Like you could map it side by side with Dalio's changing world order book. Right. But it's more social or like geopolitical. It talks about basically like how, you know, one generation, let's say the boomers are characteristically one way. And then they raise a generation like us Mm -hmm. to be a, a different way. And depending on the values of that generation determines sort of like the trajectory of the world socially, economically, politically, et cetera. Um, it's an incredibly profound book. Like 
it, it's very pseudoscience, but it's it's very profound too. Um, and, like I would highly recommend you read it. It's probably the best book I've ever read. Pseudoscience in what sense? Just that there's like, not there's a whole no, ton of data on yeah, it. Yeah, there's really no way to substantiate sure. everything that they're saying. Right. Right. But then he like in chapter six he literally the book's written in ninety four. In chapter six he starts listing things that might ha- might happen to signify the end of a fourth turning because he predicts that the fourth turning would hap- be happening around now. Okay. And he starts listing these things and he like literally within like 10 to 20% is 9-11, Ru- Russian conflict right now, COVID, like wow. great, like eerie. It'll like make your hair stand up when you're, when you're reading the, the pages of this book. It's about halfway through chapter six where he like lists all of these different things and like half of them have come true, right? Um, that one to me is like important because it, it analyzes what's on the other side of, you know, when we see a lot of this economic crumbling, political crumbling, I think we're seeing some social crumbling, mm-hmm. right? The fabric of society is like, there's, I, it, maybe it's, I'm more aware of it, but like, it feels like we're like more divided than we've ever been. There's like so much internal and external conflict between people yeah. in, in, in the economy, socially, et cetera, right now. Um, and I think that on the other side of that is actually like sort of the, the, the growth trajectory of our generation moving into that leadership seat, right? Right. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. And I think that it, that is the driving factor of, you know, human behavior is, is your values. For People sure. People go to war only over values, right. really. Yeah. 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 Or ideas. Yeah, and so you aggregate those across an entire generation and which generation is financially in power, politically in power, socially in power, right? Mm. And and what that means, right? Hmm. So that, that that's the big one and then i mean mostly i just like interact with people on social media other than that right like just i'm always trying to figure out what's going on like i I just i'm just curious about like everything right (laughs) like that's it people think i'm smart i'm not that smart i just i'm knowledgeable because i love like hearing stuff and learning right so yeah yeah so you you do a lot of your, like you you spend a lot of time on social media. Yeah, I do too much probably. But like I mean, but engaging but it, with it's people. my business now. Like I, I I run like pretty much a content business. I would say like I mean between what we're starting, like it, it functionally I'll be making as much money from content as I do from real estate within wow. the next two years. Yeah. So wow. And is that mainly a factor of the the new podcast? Yeah, the podcast as well as some other opportunities. Like I think that there's like kind of like this niche. I don't even want to use the word like influencer, but like there is like this like finance community where brands and, and other, you know, opportunities are looking for people to do. So like a lot of it's going to be like almost like amateur economics, right? Like, right. like I'm hoping to do some like good reports like well i'm doing a report for zolo like i'll be doing quarterly reports for zolo which is the biggest real estate website in the country for the next year so i'm on a, on a one year with with zolo for that um a couple of rental um businesses as mm-hmm. well that nick and i are in negotiations with right now basically putting together reports to bring value to canadian consumers but it, doing so through content right wow yeah so yeah it's fun yeah yeah that's for sure. good stuff a lot of fun yeah for sure um I hate to admit it. I probably haven't. Well, I've picked up a few books, but I have not finished a book probably in the last year. It's just been it's been so crazy. And to be honest, I find myself reading so much in order to be able to speak about the things I do. Um, I, I consume a ton of podcasts. It is it's funny that I find myself as a. I guess I got to start introducing myself as a podcaster now, which yeah. which feels weird, but uh, but it's super exciting. But I mean, I I think one of the big game changers for me um was bigger pockets out of the states which is probably the best real estate podcast ever 
I haven't um, heard of it. It's, it's got like 675 episodes now. Wow. Yeah, they're uh, huge. They, they're huge. I mean, Dan actually coined us little, what were we, little, <laughs> little Pockets? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, they, they were a life changer for me. Like years and years ago, I, I started listening and um, I've listened to some of them twice. You know what I mean? They're yep. an hour long, so put a ton of time in on that. Um, other random real estate podcasts, but like my go-tos are, are The Economist, The Wall Street Journal. Just really try to keep up with anything financial economy that is going to affect uh, real estate. And then when I'm not listening to that, I like to listen to, um, uh, Lewis Howes, who's, who's great for like mindset and, yeah. and that kind of stuff, which I think is very, very important. And that's what the bigger pockets guys talk about a lot as well. Dan and I haven't really started to go that too far into that, the mentality it takes to be a real estate investor. It's, and It's and funny. Why. Cause like, yeah, you mentioned that to me and you're like, like I'm like I don't think about mindset and he's like yeah it's because you just like have it like you just like wake right. up with it like you know what I mean like, yeah no you're yeah. a lot like my dad in that sense yeah. he's just yeah. like well I just I just work yeah, yeah. yeah. but but about that it. is the mindset yeah right like she's like no I don't have one it's just like no but that is your mindset right yeah. like and that yeah. and most people won't understand that like what do you mean you just get up and work like, I get up and go to work too but it's yeah. no that's not that's no not yeah I guess I just thing. like I wake up and I just like love doing life right like yeah, yeah. Well, like being a partner being a dad you know what I mean like love doing business love doing deals podcasts like whatever I'm just like there for it yeah but I didn't realize that was a th- if you had to like people have to work and yeah create some people that, do yeah. yeah well i mean you we're know. both just overnight successes with the here at the podcast yeah. right i mean but that's the other thing <laughs> too right yeah, it's, it's three like three years behind the scenes yeah and i mean you know it's three years of of dedicated stuff but i mean i've been trying to start businesses for 10 years yeah. i have been starting businesses for 10 yeah. years right yeah, you yeah. you have too right so it's it's very vindicating and, and pretty awesome to see what you know a decade's worth of absolute grinding from like you know at one point living in vancouver having a, a business where uh, I went to go take a cab home because it was pissing rain in Vancouver as it usually does. And I had like $18 in my bank account. I couldn't even take the $20 I had to go take a cab home. And then even just not so, you know, not so recently, um, sleeping on, you know, with an air mattress on the floor of my rentals and, and working, you know, 15, 18 hours a day doing some of the work myself. So yep. to now, you know, being being in the hot seat with, you know, having the the honor to be on your podcast, having a podcast that that is, you know, our podcast that's done, I mean, we better launched than, in number one, which is like incredible. Yeah, better than we ever expected. Yeah, I mean, how does that happen? You guys are, are you guys still the number one? Or are you guys no, launched like, as the number one Canadian business podcast? Yeah, and, yeah, it's, and, it's and twenty-five overall nationally. I mean, I don't want to, you know, twenty-five overall. Twenty-five that's overall across everything. Yeah. So I think I haven't checked in a couple of days, but last time I checked, we were still we might have been five, six, or seven. We're we're, we're still top ten business, and yeah. and still I believe top one hundred, hundred and twenty-five maybe nationally. So. I mean, look, that's that's the culmination of a ton of hard work, hours and hours of research going to each episode. Um, you well, know. you've seen it. Like Dude, the, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, really you, know how, you yeah. know how it goes even even with this, which is more casual, right? Yeah. This is still a ton of work, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't even know where I'm going with this, but just keep just keep pushing, right? I mean, I get up every day now, and I, I, I love what I do. Not that I haven't beforehand, but it's it's like the grind is finally starting to pay off. Yeah. You know, 10 years of my buddies questioning, like, what the hell are you doing? Or 10, you know, like me leaving a job to go start a business where I'm making no money. Like, why the hell would you do that? Yeah. Um, this is why, right? Because, yeah, yeah. you know, five years from now, I'll be going to every F1 race in, in the same season. So. Right on. <laughs> Man, that's a good place to end it. Yeah, you guys have any uh, parting questions? Any uh, parting comments for the for the fans? No, I think we're good. That was yeah. good. Next time we come, can I bring my dad? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Take your dad to work day. Yeah, he's a he's a big car nut, so he'd love it here. Oh yeah, bring him out anytime. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, yeah. boys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Peace.